Welcome to episode two of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I am your co-host, Nick Ashbourne. I'm here as always with Andrew Stoughton. And at the beginning of this episode, I think we're sort of faced with a fork in the road in terms of whether to go positive or negative. We're coming off the euphoria of Alec Manoa's AAA debut, but we've also have the George Springer debacle to discuss because that's been the story of the week. True to my nature, Stoughton, I think we got to start negative <laughs> and go with George Springer. How do you see this whole situation from start to finish? Oh, God. It's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, obviously, I think is the for- the first thing I would say. And I, I, what I've written about it is, uh, is that, you know, it's really more just about how the team handled the media aspect of it that I find worrisome. Like, I get trying to push him a bit. I get that, like, hey, he's playing in sim games and playing in center field in sim games at the outside. Like, just have him play. Like, and, and I get that, you know, sometimes setbacks happen. Sometimes injuries get re-aggravated. Like, I'm not super bothered by the uh, the fact that they had him out there and he got re-injured. Uh, what I'm bothered by is the fact that they pretended that that wasn't what happened when we all saw that that was obviously Yeah, like fatigue was a ridiculous word to use from the yes. beginning right you know like <laughs> yeah. i you know i'm not in the best shape ever but i could you know run down a baseline a couple times over the course of an hour and a half and not have to take a seat for the rest of the day like he wasn't even playing in the field too so that that when the moment they said fatigue everybody knew that he had done something to hurt himself and so that just seemed ridiculous from the outset yeah, and the scheduled off day, I think, bothered me as well. And I think a lot of people, as it should. It's like, okay, yeah, it's a schedule. You don't have to tell us that if, like, he's incapable of playing, right? Like, why are you telling us that? You're making it sound like you'd want us to believe nothing's wrong when, again, you're, you know, it's gaslighting, to use the uh, the parlance of our times. Because uh, we all saw what happened. We all saw him leave the game early on Sunday against Atlanta. We saw him grab his quad running down the baseline on Saturday. Uh, you know, it was clear what was going on, and it sucked, but it was understandable until the Jays themselves just tried to, you know, massage the story in a in a different sort of direction for no clear purpose. And they had, you know, like some of the information has come out the last couple of days. When they talk about their high performance department stuff, it is interesting to hear the degree to which they talk about it compared to the results. And I realize that there's an element <laughs> of luck here and no one has figured out how injuries work. But they do put an incredible premium on it and the results have not followed at all. So when they say, you know, we had objective information that we could bring him back, well, you know, he wasn't able to play the outfield. So there's some <laughs> objective information for you is that he wasn't ready to run enough to play the outfield. So there was definitely an element of pushing. I mean, you said you agree with that. I understand it. I think it would have been a different situation if the team was in a huge hole, if someone else was running away from the division. They were kind of treading water. I don't know if you needed to bring him back before he was capable of playing the outfield. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. And I don't think they had to for sure. Uh, I understand. Yeah, maybe it's more the what you said. Well, I understand why they did it. I also think that you know there's internal pressure there too, right? Like I think Springer himself wanted to get on the field. Like they talked about when he missed opening day, that he was not going to be happy about that, and that they were going to have to take the decision out of his hands. Like he's a guy who really wants to play. Like that's often that's how you become a guy who signs a 150 million dollar contract is to be driven in that way. 
So I, I'm sure they had that aspect of it to, to consider. I know Ross Atkins spoke to the media on Thursday and, uh, you know, he also said, in a, you know, in a, very careful not to throw Springer under the bus, but was also like, we're relying on his self-reporting about stuff. Uh, yeah, he about, has a great pain tolerance. It's like, yeah, that's yeah. sure that's sure as hell a way to spin that into a positive. Yeah, and it's just, this is a it's all just so self inflicted. This stuff, like like we would be talking, we might we might not even be talking about this off the top if it was just like, oh, Springer got hurt again. That was bad. We probably would. I mean, you, you, it's you a big. Deal. The, you want them to, yeah. You want them to like not bring guys back until they're actually ready to do it. But uh, but they just added another layer of confusion and of of reason for fans to be mad about this and to question every time there's an injury and to question all sorts of stuff that they say. And it's like, why are you doing that? Uh, I think sometimes that there are reasons, you know, that, you know, every every big company, every team is, you know, there are things that they're not going to say and we all kind of know it. But this is an area where it just didn't seem to make sense ever to me. Uh, and I think that that's why Atkins, I mean, Atkins would, will usually do stuff on a, on a Sunday or on a Saturday. Like the, I feel that they put him out there on Thursday to, uh, to put out some fires because there's definitely this background of like, not just, not just why did they bring him back so soon, but then why did they lie about it? Like I said, it's, it's, it, it, it's just dumb. Don't do that. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference with being vague about things that are outside of the public's eye, right? If Thomas Hatch was having some problems that nobody could really see, and you decide to be vague about that for whatever reason, that's a bad example because people don't care enough about Thomas Hatch. But <laughs> but hypothetically, oh, you know, there's a bit of an out of sight, <laughs> out of mind, and if you don't want to raise red flags or cause alarm, or you feel like a situation is unclear and you're not ready to speak on it yet... That's one thing, but this all played out on television. Like you mm. saw him pull up as he ran into first base. So, um, which you know, arguably he shouldn't have been running in the first place, and that was supposed to be a whole part of it. But the whole thing is that there's one thing about being cagey when you've got the cards to be cagey, but they didn't, and so it just mm. kind of it looks <laughs> like this sort of you know stupidity is the right word for it, I guess. You know, you said you know, we might not be talking about this if they'd handle it better. The part that we'd be talking about either way is sort of the what's the dread level from here, right? Because when you see this, the first thing that comes to my mind, and I'm willing to admit off the top that it's 100% unfair, is the late Blue Jays Josh Donaldson situation where he would come back and DH and you worried about his calf. And then there was the time where he couldn't throw for a bit. And they sort of were playing him, but in a limited role, and he kept re-aggravating things. You know, Springer's much younger than Johnson was then, um, arguably more athletic and with less of an injury history. So I don't want to say this situation is that situation, but what, yeah, what's your kind of overall concern level about this? Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. And, you know, I mean, Springer's injury history isn't, isn't it's not know, spotless either, right? It, like, you know, he plays... He plays a lot of games every year, but he doesn't play every game every year. And I think, you know, he averages, you know, what, 120 games, 130 games a year has sort of been his big league average. I'd have to look that up, I'm just sort of guessing, but it's but it's it's like that. He's a guy who hits the DL every year just about or every other year and otherwise has 
you know, his the load management thing uh, happens a lot, which is partly, you know, he played in Houston. He played in a, with a front office that was on top of stuff like that. But also, you know, the game's changing. Nobody's out there uh, playing 162 anymore. But, yeah, that's definitely a thing, and it's definitely a thing that people thought about for maybe a second before the Blue Jays signed him, and then we're like, oh, I don't care. He's amazing. Let's let's go. And we saw that. We saw what, you know, what the team looked like with him at the top of the lineup and just adding that extra bat. Uh, that is just so good. It was, you know, it, yeah, basically it was a wonderful three days. Yeah, he played a couple of games for them and he won <laughs> one of them. So Literally, <laughs> that, that's yeah. the impact. Yeah, no, uh, but the concern level, I, you know, I don't know. I don't want to think about it too much, I guess. But also, yeah, I, I don't know. I hope that uh, it doesn't give you confidence, confidence the way that all of this has come about, right? Like uh, I was going to say, like, uh, well, I hope that they make sure it's right and then bring him back when it's right and then uh, and then it'll be fine. Uh, it's like, but you also just had an opportunity to do that and, uh, uh, it didn't go so well. And the high performance stuff is amazing. Uh, I think Mark Shapiro, it took, it took like a year before he was like, ah, I wish we didn't name it that, um, because <laughs> it does mistake. give a bit of a, yeah, it, 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 it I mean, it's a, it's a mistake. I don't, I don't know if it's huge, but it does open them up to criticism that they probably wouldn't have faced if they had just been like, these are, it's our training staff, like every other team, like high performance, just says something and it says that they're doing something differently and and maybe and i think that they are i know that uh uh you know they spent they probably spend more on that than a lot of teams but uh it's just that that is that whole thing is weird too right I, I, but it is it, it's no different than i think a lot of teams like everybody gets or not everybody but a lot of people really love to point fingers and to and to be like oh players are getting injured they're clearly doing something wrong somewhere which you know the wrong thing that they're doing is playing baseball which just puts stresses on ligaments and, and muscles and things that just are not natural for humans yeah we will uh, never know the alternative right like you'll never yeah. know how many people would have gotten injured if you replaced it with the cincinnati reds training staff it's just like a yeah, random and- team right like maybe they are better than average maybe because they have the staff, they feel like they can take a few more risks with players and maybe they're able to mitigate those risks. You know, Kirby Yates, the fact that they signed him in the first place despite having uh, these red flags. I don't know if that had to do with their confidence uh, in some of the staff they have, which obviously that didn't pan out. But yeah, because we'll never know the alternatives, we'll never be able to make a firm evaluation. But what we do know is that it's not some shining light that is obviously incredible because if it were the results would follow that's yeah that's well said it, it definitely is not and the longer we go from like when it was sort of first implemented and when they really sort of started changing how they think about that i mean some of the stuff you know the nutrition falls under high performance the changes that vlad has made that alejandro kirk has made uh physically you know that falls under that branch as well right so it's it's not like you know, it's not like it's all bad, but it's just in terms of injury prevention, it does seem to be like they're any other team. I don't think they're worse, even though the numbers on the injured list right now may, may be worse than, than you know, 95% of baseball. I don't, I haven't looked at it today, uh, but that just happens. And you're right. It's the, it's the notion that they could make it not happen. Uh, that is, is false. And we, you know, we, we can't think about it that way and we can see the results uh proving that whatever they're investing in this department is not paying the sort of dividends that you sort of think of or you expect it especially when you give it the big fancy name high performance 
All right, let's move on to, again, the, the positive side of recent Blue Jays history, which is not Blue Jays history. It's Buffalo Bisons history with uh, Nate Pearson and Alec Manoa um, making their season debuts. In particular, Manoa, despite beaning a slightly disconcerting amount of batters, was about <laughs> as incredible as he possibly could have expected. And, you know, he we saw what he brought to the table in spring training. He looked fantastic. And he went out in you know his AAA debut, and it looked like he didn't miss a beat. Does this change your priors for Alec Manoa at all? Seeing him come out and do this and start one. Uh, I don't know if it does. I think it. Well, I think the spring thing sort of did that. Like I was very ready to be like, okay, we'll see what we got in Alec Manoa, and then spring was just such a wow factor uh, moment or moments. Like he was, it was not just one outing; it was the whole time. And then it looked like this and. We assume, I think, the fact that he's in AAA, that he looked like this at the alt site, too. And uh, it's uh, and this is the thing that I just wrote. Like, it's going to be hard for them to hold him back. I mean, because as, as much as Ross Atkins will go out there and talk about, uh, you know, patience and, and you know, need to de- need development is obviously important. He's still, he's still green in terms of pro innings. He's still got, you know... Stuff that he needs to work on in his arsenal. He added a sinker, apparently, which he was using last night, which Ben Wagner was tweeting about because he spoke to him after the game on Zoom. Uh, and, you know, there's still there's still development to come, but Atkins has spoken about, particularly with Manoa, uh, about development in the big leagues, something that they've done with Pearson as well. Uh, and Atkins, I think, and this is something that I mentioned in my piece, has been, you know, more willing than a lot of fans and media to think about the idea of him coming really quickly uh, you know, ahead of them, uh, ahead of where other people are at. I think a lot of people are still like, oh, he's, he's got to be babied 17 innings. He's going to be, you know, maybe we'll see him in September. Maybe we'll see him real late. He comes into the bullpen and it's like, I, you know, for one, they're definitely saying they want to, you know, they want him to be a starter. They want this season to be a platform for him to be a starter for them in the future. And you see obviously why. Uh, but you look at where the rotation is at right now. You look at even where it would be when everybody's healthy and you're starting to think like maybe this is your maybe this is your number five guy, uh, and also if that's happening at the same time when he's just not being challenged by AAA, which you know it's one start we'll need to see more, but it sure didn't look like he was challenged last night. Uh, I think it, it's the circumstances are conspiring to bring him, you know, to move up his timeline as Atkins says, and to bring him to the big leagues, you know, a lot sooner than I think people think now and certainly sooner than they thought before they saw him in spring. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Manoa is that 2020 was really going to be that year where we got the evaluation on him. Like, he's a high, he was a high draft mm. pick in 2019. He got that taste of pro ball. He looked really good. People were excited about him. And then 2020, when you have that college pitcher, that's the year where maybe you start him at high A for a couple games and then he's quickly in double A and then by the end Mm -hmm. of the season, he could have been a triple A last year, especially with the stuff we're seeing. And so because all that development took place in a black box in 2020, it's easy for people on the outside to think all this is sudden. But this might have happened kind of gradually, but we just didn't see it. And then he arrives in spring and I had the same thought. When I saw him, I thought that stuff is outstanding I bet you he could be in the bullpen tomorrow. And I bet you by the end of the year, maybe they're thinking about him as a bullpen option. And now, um, 
that could still happen, especially if he kind of hits, I wouldn't say an innings limit, but if his innings are getting up there, maybe they decide the way to mitigate that is to use him as a reliever down the stretch with the big league club. I could still see that happening. But for a team that's desperate for starters, the way he's looking at the highest level of the minor leagues, call it one start, is impressive. The thing that I would say in terms of being the, you know, the word of caution guy, last week we talked about, you know, with relievers, you just have to see the stuff. And if the stuff is really, really good, then you can feel confident that a guy can be a good reliever, even on a small sample size. I don't think it's quite the same with starters. I think that you need to see a little bit of the diversity of repertoire. You need to see a little bit more in terms of command, a little bit more in terms of turning over a lineup a couple of times and having different things to throw at hitters. That new sinker is going to help. He's been working on the changeup. That still has a way to go. He's kind of a fastball slider guy right now. Again, saying anything disparaging about Manoa, this is not the time to do it considering the temperature <laughs> in the room. But I yeah. do think that there's there's more growth to be done there and you can't tell how effective someone's going to be as a starter as quickly as you would if they're a reliever. Uh, that's a good point. Also, I think, you know, maybe maybe don't hit three guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> would be, Not would a good be idea. you got to stop doing before they're going to bring you up to the big leagues. Uh, but it was, you know, it was close to a perfect, uh, perfect way to start. I mean, the stuff was just overpowering. And, you know, there are guys who can, who can hang as starters as just fastball slider guys. Uh, or guys who can start out that way and gradually, you know, bring along uh, the changeup and, and additional secondary pitches. I, I, I don't know. I just, I see it. I, I, it's, and it's. I think it's also about the challenge too, right? I mean, he he can't be wasted down there if he's not getting challenged. And also, we're just in a situation where where you know, development, like you say, was in such a black box for so long that we don't really know. Um, where he where he's at, and yeah, it, it, I think I, I wrote about this last week. Keith Law was talking on another podcast about uh, you know top end pitchers two years away, two years out from top end college pitchers two years out from their draft day. Like that's when you start to see them come to the big. Yeah, league. he's, he's so. twenty three. Like, it, it's easy yeah. to forget that because he seems so new, but he's yeah he's the right age to be up there. And yeah, I don't know how many more starts it's going to take. For me, it's not one to be like, oh, he's ready to go. I think some people have that that thought. I don't think you or I are quite as quick trigger with that. But I, yeah, obviously I want to see more, but you have to be encouraged. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't you, not be encouraged. Yeah, it would be hard to be like, you know what? I'm really about guys who don't hit batters, and that's the one metric I track. <laughs> so uh, that's a pretty rough start as far as I'm concerned. You can't have that 4.5 hit batters per nine. A little high, a little high, yeah. A debut that was a little bit more ambiguous in terms of how you want to interpret it was Nate Pearson because he was unable to pitch deep into a game. That was explicitly one of his goals as someone who's trying to build up. Um, Encountered some trouble in the fourth inning after cruising. But he did strike out a ton of guys, and the stuff was there according to the report. Where are you at with Nate Pearson in terms of that debut and how close you see him to being Blue Jays ready? It's, I mean, I think it's close. I think that there were a lot of positives from the debut as well. You know, he changed, tweaked, I guess, his mechanics a little bit, trying to... Less uh, violent. So many many quotes about the violence. I mean, 
they should find some synonyms for his talking points because every single interview was like, got to be less violent, which as a rule of thumb for life, it's pretty good, pretty good thing to live your life by. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, you know, I think that, well, they were talking about him tensing up at his release point or at a wrong, at a, at the, at a, a point that was putting undue stress on him, which, you know, obviously throwing 100 miles an hour, throwing, throwing 80 miles an hour is putting undue stress on your body. Uh so I think that was encouraging that he was still, you know, hitting the velocity despite making those little changes. And hopefully, you know, he got through it healthy. That's always a good sign, at least at this point with Pearson. Um, I don't know if he's ready for Sunday. I don't know if they're going to do that. It's it, That's going to be a really interesting question because, uh, you know, Anthony Kay sure didn't look like he's uh, the guy just now. You know, I think he was he was encouraging last year a bit, definitely at times. But uh, for some reason, they sort of left him behind this year and then... When we've seen him, we've sort of understood why. I have a weird, uh, sneaky bit of belief in Anthony K. Like, I think more than the average person. I like that cutter that he's added. It's the He struggles with two strikes. He struggles to put guys away. The, the changeup isn't what it once was. Apparently, that was it used to be his calling card. doesn't seem to be anymore. And that the curveball is a little bit loopy, and it doesn't seem to get a lot of uh, swinging strikes outside the zone. I... I could still see him as that fringe starter, but if we're talking about comparing him to Nate Pearson, uh, I think you'd be happier with Nate Pearson in that spot. Yeah, I, and so it'll be interesting to see. Something that I was going to say with Manoa as well, uh, to, to come back to the Springer stuff, actually, and this is I put this in the piece as well, is part of why you know the, the Jays pushed it with Springer was because they're, they're a win-now team, and Atkins sort of said that. like We would do it again the same way if we have objective information that we can push it a bit this way you know the stakes are high for them they are a team that should be winning and should be doing better than they are right now and should be in a playoff race in september and ideally in the playoffs in october and uh, and that i think they're they're going to behave differently because of that and i think that sort of adds to uh to maybe their ability to 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 see the opportunity for pearson and for manoa for guys like that uh you know, just to just to, to value that, you know, if the if a season if it was twenty eighteen and the stakes weren't high, uh, you'd probably see them in, in the the minors for uh, for a bit longer. But yeah, so so that's interesting on one hand, but there is obviously a balance. And like you said, Pearson didn't go deep into that game. Uh, I don't think he was bad by any stretch, but he you know I think he struck out eight in in, uh, in however many innings he pitched, which is not twelve, but uh, but still real good. Didn't hit um, anybody, so I, I don't think. <laughs> the, the the only important metric really um, so uh, I think it, you know it'll be it'll be telling I think uh, whether they give him another start or two in AAA uh, I think that would probably push the Manoa timeline back uh, if Pearson's not even here yet so uh, what they do there is going to be is going to be kind of interesting uh, because I think there's a case that you know he wasn't ready and could benefit from more starts in AAA but also they sure could use him in the rotation right now. Yeah, I think I think I'd probably give him one more start. Try and mm-hmm. see try and get him to a more traditional pitch count, try and get him to more more like 5 innings. Even 5 innings I'm happy with. Nowadays, you really don't need especially with the bloated bullpen the Blue Jays have. You could bring Pearson up and have him only ready to throw 4 or 5 innings, like 5 on the high end, 4 on the low end and still kind of be fine because you're replacing potentially a bullpen day. So, 
you know, ideally you want him to come in, throw six and save your bullpen and be one of those guys. And that's what you see him as long term. But if over the short term, his role is to be kind of the head of a bullpen day and build himself up slowly, if he's effective in those four innings, that's not a bad scenario for the Blue Jays. No, you're absolutely right. And, and I think that ultimately that's probably going to be kind of the shape it takes. But you're, I also agree that, you know, I'm... I would, I would, I would lean towards giving him another start in AAA. Yeah. Okay. So before we leave Manoa and Pearson, I want to give you a hypothetical question that uh, is never going to be close to the reality. So we're just going to have to accept that at the outset. That something like this is not <laughs> going to happen. But let's say that you are the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays and you have uh, Nate Pearson. And you are being called by the general manager of another team who drafted Alec Manoa. This is a hypothetical where the Blue Jays did not draft Alec Manoa. Whoever was at 10, they saw the potential. They picked him up. If you were offered Alec Manoa for Nate Pearson, how would you feel about that trade? Also, I just want to say as an overarching theme, general managers should do more prospect for prospect trades and they're just cowards because they don't want to look like the <laughs> idiot. But realistically, there should be prospect for prospect trades happening all the time as different teams evaluate different players at different levels. Theoretically, if I'm the Blue Jays, I could see one of my guys and say, you know, this guy's highly valued around the league, but we're not so sure about him and see another guy in another organization. Like those trades could exist from a baseball perspective. The last thing close I can remember is like the Jesus Montero, uh, Michael Pineda thing. Right. It almost right. never happens. But anyway, so we're talking about hypothetical where your GM, Alec Manoa, was drafted by another team, and that team wants Nate Pearson. So there's a lot of things to accept in this hypothetical. But I just wanted to use it as an exercise to think about the value of those two players. Yeah, it's I'm conflicted. I mean, I've been banging the drum half seriously, maybe maybe le way less than half seriously for Manoa. Uh, obviously, it's you know it's the I'm just thinking of that meme or the the guy with his girlfriend and he's looking back over his shoulder. There was a uh, Jonah Birnbaum <laughs> tweeted that or retweet, retweeted something he did in the spring where it was like Jays fans like looking away from Pearson and towards Manoa. Uh, and I don't know if I want to be that guy, but I also kind of I. I don't want to. I'm certainly not giving up on Nate Pearson, but the the injury stuff is a red flag, and we haven't seen that red flag from Manoa. Partly because uh, he's just so, he's so green in terms of uh, pro experience. Um, so I, I think it's a really I think it's a really tough hypothetical. I I, I don't know about you, but I, I I would have I would have a hard time making that trade. But I'm not like if if I was being forced to make it. Um, yeah, I, I I could see myself taking Manoa. It is. Which is surprising is to crazy me, crazy that that's a conversation yeah. now. I think yeah. I would hold on to Pearson. Uh, just a little bit more top-end velocity. I, I've got here Manoa in the spring, and this is not a slight on him at all. Topped out at 97.8. Again, right. that's <laughs> plenty good. Uh, with a little bit more spin rate than Pearson has. But... Pearson has the, just that little bit height more in terms of velocity and, you know, the secondary pitches, the curveball and the changeup. They're both fastball sliders, guys. Uh, a little bit more faith in those. But you are taking you're taking an injury risk with Pearson for sure. And it's not like every every pitcher is an injury risk, but Pearson is demonstrated that he's more of one. 
I, I would still take Pearson if I'm the GM. I'd ask for a sweetener for sure, a pretty significant one, I think. <laughs> but yeah. at this point, it's uh, yeah, it's something we would not have discussed. You know, think about the excitement about Nate Pearson when he was coming up for his debut, and someone telling you, you know, who's, you know, you're going to be about as excited about as Alec Manoa. I don't think you would have believed that. No, absolutely not. And uh, it's, I mean, it's a, it's the hypothetical gets great when you remember that they're both on the Blue Jays and they're both, you know, uh, and just speaking to the win nowness of where the Jays are at, you know. September, come September, come October, like those could be real important arms for a team that's real good. And that, I mean, that's pushing it a bit. That's maybe getting into the wish casting area, but I don't know. It, you know, you, you look at, you look at good teams, you look at teams that win the world series and there's, there's guys like that hanging around. Uh, you know, I can't compare the blue Jays to like the Dodgers and, and, and I don't think, uh, uh, you know, but you know they got their Walker Bueller and their Dustin May. You know, sadly, who's not going to be around for a while. But uh, you know, they're so loaded everywhere. Again, the com- the comparison will fall apart. But but very important important arms for very good teams uh, can be quite young, and I think seem to be trending younger and younger every year. Uh, and the Blue Jays look like they may have some you know a couple real real good ones. Uh, and it is great. It is great, and it is wonderful. And the idea of them. Then going to next spring with like rotation spots sort of penciled in, uh, is even better. It's uh, it's a, it's 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 good problem to have this hypothetical of trading Manoa for uh, for Pearson or not. Yeah, when you look at the Blue Jays initially, the model in terms of how they're building to me looks like the Chicago Cubs when they came up with that young position player core, and then they went out and bought and traded for pitching. And, you know, Ryu was, you know, the John Lester or whatever. And then when they went and spent that money on George Springer, which I, you know, despite the rough start, uh, I don't think was necessarily misused, that put the pressure on the team. They've got to create some of their own pitching, right? You can't have guys like Springer on the contract and then probably the extensions for some of the guys they have and then go and buy your whole rotation. you got to develop some high-end pitching and, both of these guys have a good chance to be that. Now, neither of them could be because injuries are weird and pitching is weird. Um, but the team needs to do that, and these two guys are their best chance. I think, yeah, you're right. And another factor in there, which, which complicates matters, is the way that Austin Martin just fell into their laps. And I don't know if they would have necessarily looked to a position player uh, last year in the draft had that not happened. Because, like you say, yeah, I think that they are sort of. Uh, it, it felt organizationally that the pitching has been behind the position players. Obviously, we can see the position players are right there uh, playing in the big leagues every night. So, so yeah, it's interesting. They will have to hit on some of those guys. Um, so, yeah, you feel you feel real good about it. I think Simeon Woods-Richardson pitched last night as well. He's in double-A. He's still a teenager, not quite the same as a, a 23-year-old in triple-A, which Manoa is. Um but you know, yeah, there's, there's, there are, there are good things happening uh, in that weird area that, as you say, uh, can, can go from good to bad very quickly. Something that has undoubtedly been good, at least in the last couple weeks, has been the performance of Robbie Ray. And I actually feel kind of silly because I went on, uh, I'd say, friend of the show. Fair to say, friend of the show, Zoobs is. Uh, podcast last Sunday and expressed a little bit of skepticism about Robbie Ray just because I felt like there was a big 
parade for him after two walkless starts. And I, I kind of pointed out he's had these type of performances before. He's been inconsistent. And that's true. But even when you add when you add another start to it, you've got the most strikeouts without a walk over three-start span in Blue Jays history. 23 strikeouts, no walks. And a guy who had these enormous control problems, who's clearly found something. I wouldn't say figured it out. It's a little bit too early to say that. But he's clearly found some kind of adjustment. Where do we stand with Robbie Ray? And also, you know, the flip side of that is the home runs, which have come against him in bunches, which has always been an issue for Ray um, to some degree or another. How do we feel about Robbie Ray compared to, you know, two weeks ago? Still pretty good. I don't, I, you know, I think you're right. That You know, the more we see this, the more we feel that it could be real. And uh, I think you're, you're bang on about him being inconsistent throughout his career, obviously. Uh, but the home runs don't hurt you as much when you're not walking, you know, a guy every inning or whatever it was last year. Uh, so that's good. And I, I don't know, you know, he's been someone who's tinkered, been tinkered with and, and tried things for a very long time to sort of get to back to where uh, he he was when he was at his best, you know, in uh, in Arizona a couple of years ago or, or three or four years ago or whatever it was. Uh you know, I don't know if it, if that's just Pete Walker as the the pitching whisperer or what. If he's just being like, "Oh, trust your stuff and just throw it in the zone and it'll you'll be fine." And he's kind of like learning that. That seems too simplistic, but there doesn't seem to be anything too different physically. Uh, he's just throwing strikes, which is um, you know, I I just I almost don't want to question it. I don't want to. I, it's it's real, and until it goes away, it's uh, that's all I need to think about it. But yeah, I, I think. You know, I would have him as my uh, number four behind Manoa, Pearson, and Ryu, yeah. I think that <laughs> the, uh, the, the home run issue and the fact people hit him hard is a bit of something that's followed Ray for his whole career. And I, when people have incredible stuff or at least swing and miss stuff like Ray has – it's easy to assume that it's going to be hard to hit them hard. But if you look at his, like his exit velocity, for instance, average exit velocity against his whole career in the stack S era. So I'm just going to quickly run down the numbers. Eighth percentile, 12th percentile, second percentile, seventh percentile, 42nd, almost average in 2019, huge break. Then fourth last year and 12th this year. Uh, And if you look at leaderboards in terms of people who've hit those huge home runs, like he disproportionately shows up in those. There is a little bit of an interplay between him pounding the zone and him getting hit because even when he's throwing strikes, he doesn't necessarily have the command to sort of paint the edges of the zone and create that soft contact. So him throwing strikes is definitely the best version of him. Like there's no doubt the past couple of games we've seen, but at the same time, it's. I think it bears acknowledging that him making this concerted effort to sort of fill the zone no matter what could have some ugly results from time to time. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's fair. You know, he's definitely not going to. Uh, well, we even saw it in it, it, the, with the home runs. You know, he allowed three earned runs there at the at the end of the game, mostly or a couple at the end in his last outing, and. You know, yeah, and that's. I think that you got to take the the bad with the good at this point, and and that is that's that's a trade off I'm very willing to take, um, because you know you don't. We came into the season even you know even just a month ago, uh, 
This like thinking this is basically his ceiling. I think I don't know that you would expect anything more out of him, uh, and to be continually getting it like consistently, uh, giddy up! Like that's that's going to serve the Blue Jays very very well. Even if, as you say, there are going to be times when he does get hit hard, there are going to be times when he gives up home runs at inopportune times. Hopefully, they'll get George Springer back and they'll have a really good offense, and that will matter less. Yeah, I mean, you joked about him being a four star behind those young guys, but I do. Th- Think of that as a good way to conceptualize what he might be. When you see these type of strikeout numbers, you know, 23 to 0, it's easy to, you know, it's it's mini Corbin Burns. It's easy to imagine like, oh, wow, he's a guy <laughs> who's really falling in as the number two starter behind Ryu. He's a guy you really trust in the big games and the playoffs if he can keep those walks down. And I would just advise a little bit of caution on that because the combination of his pitch inefficiency, like he's never been a guy who's gone deep into games, even when he's effective, he's always struggled with third time through the order. Um, And then the concern about the way guys can hit him when he's throwing in the strike zone. Yeah. You know, he does strike me as a fourth starter, maybe someone in a playoff scenario and we're going too deep into playoff scenarios. But if the blue Jays, (laughs) <laughs> traded it is for a really good start at the deadline, which is something I'm sort of inclined to believe they will do. Um, he's someone I could see being shifted into a bulk role, a bullpen role, um, because as your number three, four, like especially if the young guys step up or if Matt's is good, I could see him kind of being bumped off that perch. So this is really, really positive what we're seeing now. But it's a big improvement from a very low floor that we saw last year, and I would advise a little caution. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and uh, like him as a bulk guy, that is uh, that is wonderful to think of. That means you have a lot of good pitchers, which uh, which doesn't feel like at the moment. Though you know the bullpen's been fine, but the rotation is. Uh, well, that's why we're talking about you know, the Nets. There's a lot. Yeah. There are quite a few good pitchers. There's quite a few, I wouldn't say good, even legendary level pitchers who are coming up on free agency at the end of the season. So if certain teams' uh, records take a turn for the worst, you could see some pretty ridiculous names being available at the trade deadline. The one that I like to dream on, and you know, the NL East is not doing me any any favors because none of those teams have been good. <laughs> but I kind yeah. of imagine the Nationals would struggle, and that the Mets and the Braves would do well. And I think that'll probably still happen to a certain extent. And the idea of a uh, Max Scherzer being available at the trade deadline is one that uh, I've given some thought to. Yeah, that sounds uh, great. I don't know if that's you know. I think that you know. We're, 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 again, getting way yeah, that's what I think. Like, I, I think that's, like, sort of a, a thing with him, right? I think that they would like to have him back. He probably wants to go back next year. So whether he even leaves is more up to him, I think, than maybe a lot of... Yeah, the, and the Blue Jays aren't the team guys. you chase a ring with. Yeah, yada, yada, yada. There's a, there's a million reasons but, why that's not a thing that's going to happen. <laughs> but, like, when I think of uh, sort of trade deadline scenarios, that's one that uh, that has always interested me just because... It, you know, it kind of reminds me of the, the Astros getting Justin Verlander, which, you know, you kind of didn't imagine something like that happening until it did. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe I'm, put, I'm putting it. that into universe. Before we leave Robbie <laughs> Ray, uh, important philosophical question. When we talk about Robbie Ray beyond any sort of form of analysis, 
the thing that stands out to Blue Jays fans, and rightfully so, is the pants experience. Uh-huh. Uh, yep. It's almost unprecedented baseball. I don't know. I haven't seen every pitcher out there, but it's just totally <laughs> different from what you expect to see. Uh, I'm not making any judgments. However, someone feels they can perform the best. Uh, they're entitled to feel comfortable, and maybe maybe this is a high, maybe this is a classic example of quote unquote high performance is wearing these type of pants. But my question to you is: Will he go down as a pioneer? Wherein this becomes I don't know <laughs> if it's the norm or something that's at least widespread, or in the future will this be an incredibly weird like a footnote maybe on a baseball card probably won't show up a baseball card they might be a little bit more pg (laughs) than that but uh just something that old guys ramble about when they remember uh this guy named robbie ray that used to strike a lot of guys out and wear incredibly tight pants (laughs) i mean I certainly can't speak for future generations i I don't think and how he's gonna be right but it definitely feels like something where you know, somebody 10 years from now is going to see a highlight and like do a double take uh, more so than it's going to be like, oh, that was the first guy who wore the pants like we all do now. Um, it's, it's, you know, like you said, whatever makes him comfortable, whatever he's into, that's that's cool. But also, you know, those are some tight pants. I think I think it was Blake uh, Blake Murphy from The Athletic tweeted like, oh, I didn't expect to turn turn from wrestling to the Blue Jays game and see tighter pants. That's <laughs> like, a good way to put which, it. That is a good way yeah. to put it. I, um, it. It's, you know, again, whatever works. If, that, if uh, I, you know, I don't know how many degrees tighter he could go before I would change my opinion on on that. I don't know how many degrees tighter he could go before the pants just disintegrate. I don't, yeah, I don't think but, he uh, has the option of going much tighter just from <laughs> a yeah, mobility standpoint. Uh, I guess it, we, we live in sort of an athleisure focused time where there's a lot of tight clothing that you can move in pretty well. I I would say I'm I'm more bullish than you. I I see the remember some guys <laughs> potential where someone sees a highlight okay. and they're like, "Oh Jesus, what is going on there?" And I think someone might assume that like that was something that was more common when they see it. Like when you see something like that, you'd be like, "Oh, that was a different era. Maybe that was a thing that people did." And, you know, Gen Z informs me uh, not directly you know through various articles that uh, skinny jeans are leaving apparently Uh, i'm not someone who knows anything about fashion so maybe we're getting loose overall and maybe i'm wrong about this but i've got to believe that it might be better to pitch in tight but movable pants and it might be more comfortable and uh we've generally seen over time uniforms getting further and further like the you know uniforms used to be ridiculous and now they're more and more focused on quote-unquote athletic performance and i could see someone thinking that there's potential in this to improve performance i don't know flexibility with your leg kick now i don't want to (laughs) i don't know i don't want to get too far into the mechanics here but i i think that there's a not insignificant chance that this is significantly more common in 15 to 20 years I mean, it's it's cyclical for sure, but I don't know if I don't know if it's cycling it's just in one or out. Guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe it'll just be one guy who revives it because he loved Robbie Ray, like a kid now who's watching Robbie Ray's his favorite pitcher, and then he makes the big leagues in twenty forty one, and then he brings it back. I don't know. I, I I think there's some potential there. And he's uh, the kids out there grunting away as well. <laughs> 
It's, it's incredible to take away attention from the grunting with the pants. He's got a, there's a lot going on. He could have done one or the other and gained notoriety. <laughs> I saw uh, someone tweeting a study, like a legitimate study about grunting and pitch velocity the other day. And there were indications. I did not go through the entire study. I did skim it that there was some velocity benefit to grunting, um, which would put Ray ahead of the curve in more ways than one. Yeah, pioneer. I think we've I think we've decided it. He is a pioneer. All right, before we wrap up, because on the show, I think in our description we promised that we would be kind of looking back at the week and then looking ahead to the weekend, but we mainly just look back at the week so far. That's kind of the precedent we're setting, but I want to try and be honest to our description. So is there anything for this Astros series that is really jumps out at you that you're going to be watching? Um, you know, it's it's sort of it's it sort of manufactured silliness, but I know I saw somebody tweeting about Ross Stripling throwing, talking about throwing it at, at the Astros, and uh, you know he starts tonight. Uh, and obviously, part of the LA team that uh, lost in twenty seventeen in the World Series, and uh, that was a that was a thing. That was a weird thing for me that it that he had to bring it up the 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 fact that him and Springer are teammates. Uh, that I think it was at the end of spring training that that became a thing, and it was. It was sort of like a side question, or it was a question that wasn't that nobody nobody directly asked him all spring about like, hey, you're playing with George Springer, uh, which is kind of you know big news in you know through the MLB lens, the 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 broader focus. Uh, you know, we we sometimes tend to get into like our our Toronto Blue Jays land heads, and and that stuff sort of goes it goes past us maybe, uh, but to the to the folks south of the border. Uh, Astros and Dodgers is a big thing and throwing at the Astros and hating on the Astros as we saw, you know, with the Yankees fans, you know, still a big thing. And I think, you know, maybe Jays fans because of Springer uh, have been, you know, trying to put that out of our heads. I don't know. But uh, but that I think is interesting. Obviously, Springer's return. I don't know if he's going to be with the club. I would I would assume yeah, I that he's still I believe he's still, still there. traveling with the team, so he should yeah. crop up there. That'll... Yeah, that'll be interesting. And then again, like we were saying before, like who starts on Sunday? Is it Kay? Does does uh, does Pearson get the uh, get the nod? Um, I don't know. Maybe the I don't know if the re- return of Teoscar Hernandez is uh, not a bit not a big quite the same weight in uh, Houston Astros <laughs> lore. Teoscar Hernandez, although I think he did get a World Series ring. The only things I would add to that, um, you know, the, you're going to have some kind of Guriel brothers shot. Interesting at a moment when the Lourdes Gurriel has been far less effective than his brother, which has not traditionally been the case. But you're going to have some some hair and some hugs, and I don't know, some you know some probably some kind of heartwarming <laughs> uh, human interest story uh, on the broadcast. And then the other thing is to I, I could I could guess who would do that. And then you're going to have uh, maybe a shot of George Springer talking to Carlos Correa at some point. And then a mm-hmm. resulting, uh, yeah, just a mini, not even a news cycle, maybe just a, a ripple on Twitter about George Springer recruiting Carlos Correa as the next <laughs> member of the Toronto Blue Jays, which is not something I believe will happen. But um, considering Bo Bichette's defensive issues, which have been a little bit muted of late, you could still get that, ooh, Blue Jays might be interested in Correa. Look at these guys be friends moment. Uh, another thing which I'm just seeing on Twitter uh, from Ben Wagner is that uh, Rowdy is headed to Houston. So he suggests he's not sure if that's uh, followed from Joe Panic's MRI 
doesn't say, you know, is it going to be on the taxi squad? What is, what is he going to do? But uh, a quick return for Rowdy, who uh, who hit a home run last night during the uh, the Trenton Thunder game, which is what the Bisons are called when they're in Trenton. Uh, like immediately after uh, the guy who was calling the game, Greg, whose last name is escaping me at the, at the moment, uh, she gave me a shout out because I was like tweeting at him and there was a, it was a fun atmosphere uh, tweeting at the radio booth last night for the the Thunder slash Bisons as Alec Manoa was uh, was mowing down the Woo Sox and it was uh, this is a tangent I guess but it, but it was lovely just to have a minor league baseball game and to have a game on the radio like a specific radio call and to and also to get you know uh, a new crew who were who were delightful very good I should I should have uh, remembered Greg's name I'm like quickly scrolling through my Twitter to see if I can uh, can find it. But uh, but they were they were they were charming, uh, and you know you could hear every single fan in the ballpark on the microphones, and uh, uh, it was uh, it, it was nice. I missed minor league baseball, and I missed radio calls. Greg Caserta is his name. Uh, and he also he also said because uh, he was t- he spoke about Rowdy, and he's like, yeah, Rowdy was really ribbing me. Like he, I don't know him at all, but he, but Greg said he was. Uh, doing the it like the the intake and taking guys temperatures the uh, the play by play man was also doing was doing multiple jobs that's every, minor league baseball uh, for you which, that's where the miners are at yeah but yeah I mean it is a shame to see the Joe Panek at first base uh, era quickly come to an end <laughs> uh, you always yeah. like to see one of historically the worst hitters in baseball over a three to four year span step in there and fill in at first base so uh it'll be a bit of a shame to see that come to an end we can wrap it there uh i hope you guys enjoyed it please continue to listen on apple spotify we've got a bunch of new ones now ones i've never even heard of pod paradise pod bay listen notes something called the podcast app there's lots of places to find us leave us many reviews that are ideally five stars but it's a free country uh well maybe depends where you're listening but uh (laughs) it's a free internet so give us your real opinion and uh, have a nice weekend